Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Zimmerman with Becker's Healthcare. Thank you for tuning into the Becker's Healthcare podcast series. Today, we will be discussing how anesthesia groups can position themselves for success in 2021. We are thrilled to be joined by Lee Hedman, Executive Vice President for Surgical Directions, and Dr. Josh Miller, Physician Managing Director for Surgical Directions. Surgical Directions is a professional services firm specializing in surgical center performance improvement to drive higher case volume and improve financial strength. Lee and Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Brian. So let's dive right in here. Lee, I'm going to throw this first question your way. So how can an anesthesia group position themselves for success in today's healthcare world? Sure, Brian, what we're seeing with our clients right now is the anesthesia groups really need to partner with hospitals. So many times they're found, they're, they're really seen as kind of standing off by themselves and not really being a true partner. They really need to understand the mission of the hospital and the goals in order for surgical services to be um, run more efficiently as well as be financially solvent for the hospital. 70% of the hospital's revenue comes from surgical services, so it's really important for the anesthesia group to step up. Part of how they can do that is taking on the role as a medical director. So one or, or more than one physician should really be the medical director that works through some of the different things that are needed to have a successful day of surgery. So a lot of the protocols that are worked on with pre-admission testing and things like that should be really the responsibility of the anesthesia group and take an active role in the day-to-day oversight for pre-admission testing. And Dr. Miller, um, being an anesthesiologist, you've been in this role before, and maybe you can share a little bit more details of what that looks like. Surely, and I appreciate that. It, You know, it was Enough in years gone by, as Lee said, for anesthesiology groups, for the anesthesiology providers to basically come into the hospital and put people to sleep. Those days are gone, and practices need to be much more fluid. They need to understand that there are a lot of pressures on their hospital partners. They need to really get their internal houses in order. In other words, disruptive physicians, make sure they have adequate staffing, They need to work on internal politics and understand that if that they have discord within the group, that will spill out into their uh, processes and practices in the ORs and ultimately to the administration. It's important that they participate in an active daily huddle or a daily collaboration with the pre-anesthesia testing clinic, the OR nurses, surgical uh, sterile processing, the pre-authorization people, and they need to provide the clinical insight if there's going to be a glitch. So a daily huddle is usually one day before, can be three days and up to five days before the scheduled surgery. The patient's processes are discussed. In other words, do they have comorbidities that require, say, a cardiology consult? Have they had the appropriate labs and studies? Has their pre-authorization been approved? Does SPD, sterile processing, have the appropriate equipment available. They need to provide oversight for PAT, for the pre-anesthesia testing, as Lee said. They also need to think about the business side of working with their partners, which includes how do they make sure they're in network for hospital participating carriers? What do they do to financially right-size their groups such that they don't need to ask for much of a subsidy or any subsidy from their hospitals? The hospital margins are so tight 
that the less cash out from the hospital to subsidize a quote service is really important to the hospital partners. And again, they need to participate as a true partner with hospital initiatives such as clinically integrated networks, ACOs, bundled payments. They need to be at the table with their hospitals partnering to ensure financial viability for their hospitals. I think some really important points there. And, and then a note about the partnership piece too, I think at this moment in the healthcare where uh, we're seeing you know, heightened collaboration across the board, across so many stakeholders, I think there's real momentum there, right, for, for partnerships to really take hold in, in, a, in a myriad of ways. There really are. And in addition to the partnership aspect of it, there are a lot of different models now for anesthesiology. So hospitals are no longer simply looking at a one-to-one relationship, if you will, with an anesthesiology group. They may be looking at, does it make sense for us to employ our anesthesiologists? They may be looking at multi-specialty national or regional groups uh, that can provide some buy-down, if you will, of the anesthesia cost by having maybe the ED contract or the hospitalist contract. So there are a lot of very different relationships and partnerships, if you will. And it's really, really important for the anesthesiology groups to understand that. And frankly, for the hospital to understand that they have options and opportunities as well. Yeah, absolutely. And sort of my next question here then, we know it's important for a group to have a succession plan in place, but when should that plan be initiated? Dr. Miller, you want to take that? It really is about the numbers. You have to understand and determine how many anesthesiologists are pre-retirement, near retirement, how many new anesthesiologists do you have? How many will you need to recruit? What's the life cycle of the recruiting process in your area? It may be easier, for example, to recruit to Miami versus a small town in Arkansas. So you need to understand the unique dynamics and what will draw providers to your market as an anesthesiology group or as a hospital if you uh, employ your anesthesiologist. It's really important to understand what that transition plan is going to look like. It's important to understand if part of the succession planning involves physicians that are retiring, what will a new leader look like? Is that leader within the group or are you going to need to go outside of the group to recruit leadership? You have to discuss formal announcements when you are transitioning to a new leader. And it's probably at least a six to 12 month process to introduce new leadership to both the hospital, insurance carriers, referrals, surgeons. It takes a good six to 12 months to really have a seamless transition. Lee, would you like to add to that? Yeah, and I think what we're seeing across the country is so many of the groups have either um, not thought about this or or just haven't done it on a timely fashion, and the anesthesiologists are retiring or um, you know moving to different places, and it takes a long time to recruit. You know, the average anesthesiologist recruitment process is at least six to nine months, and that can really leave the hospital um, in a bad position because the hospital is trying to grow case volume and has all these cases to be done. But so many times we hear, well, we can't get the cases done because we don't have the anesthesia coverage. So again, part of that partnering with the hospital is really putting your plan in place for recruitment. And as Dr. Miller mentioned, really looking for the leaders of the future. So, so many of our anesthesiologists now also are getting their MBAs, which is really taken 
the whole practice of anesthesia to a different level from the business end of it to really look at what your group can bring to the table um, as far as, you know, working with perioperative services and making sure that they are aligned with the staffing and the block schedule and things like that. So it's not a matter of just coming in and, and picking the cases and going wherever. It's really planning for that. And part of that planning is making sure that you have enough providers so if the hospital, too, is looking to open, you know, another couple of rooms next year or whatever, you also have to plan for that as you're doing your succession planning to make sure that you can provide the necessary leadership as well as the coverage on a day-to-day basis. Definitely some important considerations there for our listeners. I want to circle back now to sort of this partnership piece we, we, we sort of opened with. Lee, what what if the group is considered part of the problem by hospital leadership instead of a partner? Well, I think the hospital is most most of the hospitals, they really want their anesthesia providers to be partners with them. So it is very different than it was 10 years ago or or 20 years ago. And it's really by defining what um, what the group wants to do as a group, but also then looking at what the hospital's needs are. So that's where the partnering comes in. A lot of times what we'd like to do is really meet with the anesthesia providers, both the medical directors the anesth- or the anesthesiologists and the CRNAs as a group to find out what their internal dynamics are, but then also to meet with, as we call the C-suite, to figure out what the needs of the hospital are and make sure that we can come together on that. And part of what we can do as an anesthesia group is really conduct a staff and surgeon survey or we put out a, you know, a short, maybe 10 question survey um, to the people that we work with and find out what are some of the things that you see our group is doing well and what are some of the things that you feel that really challenge the operating room on a day-to-day basis that may directly or indirectly relate back to the way we're doing our job as anesthesia providers. And those surveys can really tell them a lot, um, maybe not agree with everything, but certainly can tell them a lot of what is expected of them and and what their partners are looking for. And then we can also do a lot of performance metrics now for anesthesia, which before it was always just for the OR metrics, but now we can look at surgeon behavior and practices as well as anesthesia providers and see if they're coming to the rooms on time in the morning, seeing if their patients are adequately prepared for surgery, making sure that the protocols are in place for pre-admission testing as defined by anesthesia guidelines so that we're really helping to partner again with the hospital and with the operating room as a whole to make sure that we're all moving in the same direction. And sometimes for the anesthesia partners, it's even something as simple as really, you know, there's a lot going on in any given day, just really kind of helping turn those rooms a little faster by helping out a little bit goes a a long way in the eyes of being a partner and not a problem. Dr. Miller, I know that you've been in the ORs for many years and and you've seen the change in in culture and what is needed today. So maybe you can add to that. Sure. And I think, Lee, you hit on some very important points. It's important that when uh, the hospital leadership considers potentially the anesthesia practice a problem, that it not be just a feeling. There needs to be data to support mm-hmm. changes or discussions associated with with the the changes, and that I think is what Lee was pointing to with metric for performance. 
those metrics baseline first metrics, of course, are quality metrics. So wrong-sided blocks, unexpected deaths, delays, complications in the operating room that are unexpected. All that needs to be quantified. But it also, beyond quality, there should be volume and time metrics. And we did point to these turnover times can be affected by anesthesiology. First case on time starts can obviously be affected by anesthesiology, staffing, and then there can be insurance contracting expectations. So there can be a lot of metrics. I was the chief of a group that had roughly 50 metrics that were both quality, performance, financial, related to contracting with the hospital. And we met quarterly to hold ourselves accountable to the hospital. So we had clinician accountable performance, basically, quarterly departmental meetings to review with the hospital, all of these metrics. And it was part of our contractual obligation to the hospital. Very important to not only measure, but to have understanding between the anesthesiology group and the hospital, what those metrics mean in terms of the contract and potentially at-risk dollars related to subsidy or other potential at-risk to the department. Thank you both so much for weighing in there. Dr. Miller, can you talk a bit more about how uh, anesthesiologists and CRNAs can showcase their value to a hospital? Right. And again, you know, the days where anesthesiologists and nurse nurses came in, put people to sleep and, and left are gone. We have to help our hospital providers by being true partners. We have to convert from a service provider to a critical product that creates value and efficiency in the OR. There's so many ways that those that are on the ground that are in the OR every day, they understand the details and the the holdups, the efficiency holdups, the quality holdups. And if they're involved in providing feedback to the hospital, possibly through a surgical services executive committee, which is generally a hospital committee run by physicians, but owned, if you will, by the administration. And I consider it a board of directors for the operating room. Anesthesiologists need to be very involved in all the day-to-day operational issues that often fall upon the director of nursing in an operating room. They need to also understand that they need to work every morning to come in and simply make sure that cases start on time. They need to take responsibility for pre-admission testing, defining the clinical protocols, publishing those clinical protocols, and making sure that there aren't exceptions to the rule, if you will, that everybody understands the playing field. There's consistency and a lack of variability in how patients are managed, both through the pre-anesthesia testing and through the operating room. If you can decrease the variability, you really can improve quality and you will get the buy-in of the surgeons in your hospital administration. Yeah, absolutely. That variability piece is so important, something something we hear about quite a bit as just such a huge priority. And, and then to, to close out here, I, I want to come back to this leadership component. Lee, if there is a void in leadership or weakness in leadership, what needs to be done? What has to happen? I think the first thing that needs to happen is you need to um, acknowledge the deficit. You need to really be honest with your group and honest with hospital leadership that there is a unique circumstance at at the particular time that maybe the leader that was in place or maybe still is in place is not the leader that they were or not the leader that is needed for today. Today is very different than what it was five years ago or 10 years ago. And sometimes you just need those new um, 
new new set of uh, eyes to really take a look at it and say, hey, where is this group, whether they're employed or contracted, where is this group going in in the next year, in the next three years, in the next five years, and how are we going to get there? And part of it is having a strong leader. And as we talked about before, you know, many of the anesthesiologists are now also, you know, have master's degree in business. And I think that we've seen the change. It's really helping them look at not just the practice of anesthesia, but the practice of having a business and, and how you move that business forward. So it's really important to find the new leader for the group if you don't have one. And sometimes there may be somebody within the group that nobody ever expected that would step up to be the leader. Maybe you have to ask a, a lot of questions and kind of feel people out or or maybe put them in a couple of different leadership type roles through different committees in the hospital and see how how they react. But it is important that if you don't have somebody within the group that you do look to the outside and that that needs to happen sooner than later. As we talked early on in this discussion, so many of our hospitals out there today, they wait too long and then it's like trying to fill fill the void quickly because, you know, things are going downhill pretty quick and it's really hard to do that. It, you have to find the right person for, you know, the right culture that is in there. Maybe the culture needs some work. Maybe you need to work better and bringing your group together to work as anesthesiologists and CRNAs so that when you, you know, you're, you're in the OR, you have one voice. Um, you know, what happens within a group behind closed doors is within that group and learn how to um, make that a more mature group and work together in a team format. And it's really looking at, as a leader, you need to look at the overall culture. You need to look at compensation and make sure that you know, you're in line with what the market is today because that's always, you know, a hot topic of discussion. And then look at coverage. I mean, is your group really working according to your contract with the hospital? Are you covering as many rooms as you need to on a daily basis or some of the other sites as we know as the NORA sites, the other OR sites that need to be need to be taken care of? I mean, it is your responsibility as a leader. And like I said, finding that right leader within the current group may not be there, but then you have to acknowledge that you need to look to the outside to bring somebody in. That's a helpful uh, piece of advice there for, I think, so many different sectors of the industry, right? Finding the leader for now, uh, the industry is so different broadly uh, than it was mm -hmm. five years ago. Lee, Dr. Miller, I just want to thank you both for, for taking the time. It was a great discussion. Thank you thank for you having so us. I also want to thank our podcast sponsor, Surgical Directions. You can tune in to more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckershospitalreview.com.